Good morning, church. My name is Ads, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I'll be doing the second Bible reading from Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, uh, which you can find in the Pew Bibles or on the screen um, behind me. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal the servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such greater faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ads. Our church will be um, over this term studying Luke chapters 7 and 8. And this is continuing where we left off last year, at the beginning of last year, after term one, we finished off at chapter six. So if you want to refresh it, it might be worth going to our website, listen to those old talks, but more importantly, in your own devotion, read Luke and read ahead as well. So this will be something that will take us through the end of term one. Uh, but let's join again in prayer, and we'll have a look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my lips be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder whether you have thought about what Jesus is thinking right now at this very moment. Have you thought about what Jesus is thinking? I mean, as Jesus looks down upon the earth and considers the world which he made, what would Jesus be thinking as he perhaps opens up the newsletter, the newspaper, The Age, The Herald Sun, maybe he prefers The Australian and he reads about all that is happening in the world, what would Jesus be thinking? What do you think? Would he be pleased? Would he be impressed? Would he marvel at how impressive we are? Or maybe let's not talk about the world, let's just say Jesus puts his focus upon the churches in Australia. He looks at the Anglican churches, the Uniting, the Baptists, even the Presbyterians. What would Jesus think? Would he be impressed? Would he be pleased? Or perhaps let's come a bit closer to home. What would Jesus think if he considers each of our lives individually? He looked at us and saw how we woke up this morning, how we behaved, how we came to church. Was it a mad rush? Did we get mad at anyone? Or how we are sitting even here in church now? 
what's going on in your mind? Would he be pleased? Would he be impressed? Would he marvel? I mean, personally, I'm impressed with many of you. So many talents and gifts and abilities here. I'm so impressed. But is Jesus impressed by the same things? What is he thinking? I mean, it's worth thinking about, isn't it? I have thought about this. Because if there is one person we all must try to please above even our parents, which is a big thing in some cultures, above even our friends and peers, is the Lord Jesus. And what we find is that in the Scriptures, in the Gospels, Jesus is impressed by some people. He marvels at them. He's amazed. He's astonished. In fact, in the stories of the Gospels, there are two places in which Jesus marveled. He was astonished. He was amazed. One of them we'll look at today, but the other one was, in fact, not for a good reason. It was the one time when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth. Do you remember that story where he taught, he performed miracles, but it all fell on deaf ears? And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. And then we read in Mark 6, chapter 6, verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, of course, we don't want that to be what Jesus is thinking about us. But the other place where Jesus was amazed, for a good reason, is this passage that we're going to look at. And so let's consider this story. Well, this story begins with a desperate plea. We meet a centurion. We saw it in the kids' talk. A centurion was a bit like a mid-ranking military officer, a bit like a captain in the army. He had about 100 soldiers under his command. And so in the story, we find this centurion. He's got a very sick servant. Or literally, the word is a sick slave. Now, we have to remember, in the Roman world, slaves were like commodities. You trade slaves. If your slave died, you just go to the market, you buy another one. It was no okay, no big deal. But yet for this this centurion, we see something of his character. He highly valued his sick slave. He treasured, he honored his slave. And, And perhaps having heard that there was this miracle work in town, what did he do? Well, he sends some of these Jewish elders to Jesus to come to heal his slave. Now, even that should be surprising to us when we read that. Because, you see, Jews and the Romans did not get along. Because the Romans were these oppressive overlords who conquered their land. And so the Jews weren't fans of the Romans, nor vice versa. And so Jews were not associated with Gentiles that were unclean, but it seemed like this centurion, he built up a bit of a rapport with the Jews. And so these Jewish elders, they got to Jesus, and what was their plea? Or in desperation, Jesus, come along. Heal this servant. And what was their reason? Well, look at verses 4 and 5. This man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. He deserves it, Jesus. You must come. He's worthy of your help. You owe it to him, Jesus. Now now reflect on that for a moment, what these Jewish elders said to Jesus. That's worth pondering. Because what we learn there is something about human nature. And we learn there's something of how humans interact with one another. It's often so transactional. 
It's like a transaction that was happening. You know, he's worthy enough, Jesus, so you must offer your help to him. I mean, that's how often we work, isn't it? If you're worthy, then we'll help. If you're not, then forget it. And I suspect that's something of how we might function without even knowing. You know, you give a little, you take a little, it's a transaction. And how many of us, I mean, think about this yourself, how many of us will be more willing to help those who have helped us in the past? You know, to cook for those who have cooked for us, to invite those over who have invited us, to be generous to those who have been generous to us. I mean, Christmas, oh, that cousin gave a very expensive present. Well, I better remember to return that favour next year. I mean, so transactional, isn't it? And that's something about human nature. And so these elders go to Jesus. He's worthy of your help. You must help him. He deserves it. You owe it to him, Jesus. But what was it that the centurion was thinking? Well, they were not his words. You see, in fact, it was the complete opposite. We find now his humble confession. He did not send the Jewish elders thinking that he deserved anything from Jesus. In fact, even before Jesus arrived, he now sends some other friends to Jesus, and you can just see how torn he was. He wanted Jesus to come, but he did not want Jesus to come. He wanted Jesus to come to heal his servant, but he did not want to come too close to Jesus. And we're told why. Look at verse 6. He said, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Now remember, a centurion was a man of authority and power. You looked at his military uniform, you can see this man was a man of power. You see how he dressed, you can see he was important. It's a bit like in the military today. In the military uniform, you have your stripes, the more stripes, the higher rank. In the past, I worked for the Department of Defense, and I worked closely with Air Force officers. And you have to remember their ranks. You see how many stripes on their shoulders. And so, you know, it's a way of showing respect where respect was due. Or actually, you can see I'm, I'm outranking that person. And so two stripes, flight lieutenant. Three stripes, that's a squadron leader. Three thicker stripes, that's a wing commander. Four, that's a group captain. And so you see someone like that, you say, oh, that's a man of respect. And so you look at the centurion, his uniform, that's a captain, that's someone who had power and authority. And then you look at Jesus in his ordinary garb. But yet, what did this centurion recognize about Jesus? Despite what Jesus was wearing, this Jesus outranked him by a mile. Because what did he call Jesus? Called him Lord. Now, that might just be out of respect. But it's in fact the same word that is used for Lord God. He was seeing something. No one else did. And so verse 6 again. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve. Or the word is, I'm not fit. I'm not sufficient. I'm not qualified to have you come under my roof. You see his humility here. It's profound. Now, even if, if you think about that, I mean, I don't mind having any one of you come over to my place. You know, many of you have been over to my place, humble home, nothing so special. But if you were the Governor General, David Hurley, I'll feel a bit uneasy. Governor General, you can come, but you have to take off your shoes. I wouldn't be comfortable saying that to him. I'd just keep it on. I'd rather take him out somewhere. Let's go box hill or something. But you see, this centurion, he got it right. 
his attitude was right. Because who is fit enough to invite God into your home? You see, the greatest palaces of the world is not worthy of him. But yet in his humble confession, he continues, verse 7, That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. You see, he sent the Jewish elders and his friends, not because he was lazy, not because he had the power to, but because he was so conscious of his unworthiness to even be in the same place as Jesus. He he saw his unworthiness to be in the presence of Jesus. And so he was torn. I want him to come, but don't come too close because I'm so unworthy. You see what's happening here? He did not come to Jesus on the grounds of his merits, on the grounds of his performance. I mean, he had so much to be proud of. He was a centurion. He had authority. He built the synagogue. You should be pleased, Jesus. Look what I did for your people. I love this nation. It meant nothing, and he knew that. Jesus owes me nothing, and he knew that. I'm unworthy, he said. I come not just with empty hands, but filthy hands you see there's no transaction here and he recognized that i cannot transact with jesus as though i have anything to offer him and i wonder whether that makes any of us think how is it that we approach god how is it that we approach jesus i mean do we strut around in life as though i am worthy i deserve it I mean, Jesus should be proud of me because I made it to church today. In fact, I was early. I even got one of the car parks. Jesus should be so proud. Heaven should be rejoicing I'm here. Come on. Well, I suspect we're not so blatant. But I do wonder whether some of us, our attitudes are not too far from that. That we forget What a glorious privilege it is to be in the presence of God. That we forget how glorious it is that God would welcome us in. I mean, it reminds me, each time we pray, each time we read the word of God, each time as we open up our voice in praise to him, each time we are gathered as the people of God, I wonder whether in our hearts there's a a deep sense of reverence for God. You know, whether we're like the centurion thinking, I am so unworthy of this, and whether we have this deep reverence for God. And I wonder whether some of us, we in fact treat our friends or our bosses better than Jesus. I mean, we're never late for work, but Jesus, he can wait for me. And those of us who are parents, I mean, we heard a lot about parents last night if you were there at the training. Our kids learn from us, not so much by what they hear, but by what they see in our example. And unless we who are adults come to God with a sense of fear and trembling that I am unworthy of his love, and we wonder why our children are flippant about the things of God. And so we learn from this centurion in his humble confession, I am unworthy even to be in the presence of Jesus. You can't help, can you, but love this centurion. Wonderful humility. And you can't help but love him for his insightful perception. Because not only did he approach Jesus rightly, he thought of Jesus rightly. 
he could see the unparalleled authority of Jesus. Look at what he said in verse 7. He said to Jesus, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word, Jesus. You don't even need to come. Just say the word. I mean, do you notice his insightful perception of the person of Jesus? Just say the word. Now, of course, he didn't mean here just say some magic word as though it's sorcery or witchcraft, not at all. Instead, he perceived the power that stands behind the words of Jesus. Look at verse 8. He said, For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see here, when you have power, your words have power. Your words will do what you say. You notice that, right? That's why we, we like Uber. It feels like we've got power. I'm just picking up the phone and someone says, oh, actually, you don't even need to pick up the phone. You just use your, your, your phone, don't you? And at home, just so that I feel like I've got a bit of power over our household, I, I've got this Google thing set up at home. And so I say, hey, Google, turn on the coffee machine. And you know what happens? My coffee machine turns on. I don't even need to move. And I feel like, that's power. That's good. Sometimes when I'm right next to the machine and I can just reach over and press it, I'd rather say, hey, Google, turn on the coffee machine because that just feels a lot more powerful. Sometimes Google doesn't listen to me. I get mad at Google. But anyway, when it works, that just feels good. And it feels good because it only works for my voice, not Yvonne's voice, and I like that. <laughs> but you see, this centurion had real power. Real power. But notice here, he didn't say, I'm a man with authority. He didn't say that. He, in fact, said, I'm a man under authority. It's not just that what he says goes, but he recognizes that what he says carries the weight of the authority above him. As the general commands him, he does. He commands the soldiers below him. In fact, centurions were known to die at their post when commanded. They were the backbone of the Roman Empire. And so when he commanded his troops, his command was vested with the power and the weight of the Roman Empire. And so to defy him was to defy the Roman Emperor himself. And that was treason. And so what did he perceive about Jesus then? Well, perhaps he perceived behind your words, Jesus, is not just any word. It's in fact the words that carry the weight and power of God himself. Such that even the realm of sickness and disease is not outside the reach of your powers. And so Jesus, just say the word. But you see how audacious his request was. Because remember his attitude coming towards Jesus. He didn't say, I'm worthy, therefore do what I say. He said, I'm unworthy, but yet he was daring enough to make that request anyway. He requested. Why? How could you do that? I'm unworthy. But he still makes that request. Why was he able to do that? Well, it's because he understood grace. I'm not worthy. That's for sure. But Jesus, you are worthy. I can't do it, but you can, Jesus. I don't deserve it, but you do it anyway because I don't deserve it. And that is grace. He understood grace. 
And so here, even an outsider, remember, he's a Roman soldier, a Gentile. He understood grace, and he recognized that the grace of God extended beyond the people of God. He was not beyond the reach of the grace of God. And so in the end, what did Jesus think? What did Jesus think about him? Well, Jesus made sure everyone there heard what he thought. He was amazed. He was astonished. He marveled. Verse 9, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. You see, what impresses Jesus? What impresses Jesus was, it was not someone who says, I can, but someone who says, I cannot. What impresses Jesus was not someone who says, I'm worthy, I deserve it, look at me. No, but it was someone who says, I'm unworthy. What impresses Jesus was not his rank or his achievements, but his humble, dependent faith. And Jesus marveled at his simple faith. You see, it was not the strength of his faith, how much faith he had, but it was just the right direction of his faith. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, what we're effectively doing is we're transferring our trust in ourselves to our trust in Jesus. I'm not trusting in my virtuous life. It's very easy. It's a way of the world. It's the transaction of the world. You know, I'm, I'm trusting in my virtuous life, the merits I've accumulated, being good, from building the synagogue to giving whatever that might be. I'm not trusting in that, but I'm transferring my trust from myself to Jesus, the direction of the faith. Is it us or Jesus? And so what happened in the end? Well, I found this quite, quite interesting. It feels like Jesus was so powerful that we're not even sure he had to say any word at all. We're not told. And the slave was healed. It's a brilliant story, isn't it? It's a brilliant story because Jesus stood amazed at one simple man. Not because of his impressive CV, but because him, even a Gentile and outsider, trusted in Jesus. Recognize who Jesus was and have faith in him. Amazing faith. And so let's come back to us. Have you ever wondered what Jesus might be thinking about us? Whether our life impresses him at all. Whether as he looks down from heaven upon us, whether he marvels, whether he's amazed at us. Do we cause him to marvel for good things? Or do we cause him to marvel at us for bad things? I mean, think about what Jesus has done. I came down to earth to identify with you. I came down to earth, denied the glory I had in heaven, to be like you. I even went to the cross to stand in place of you. I bled I died. I bore the weight of sin. I faced the full wrath of God in your place. There's nothing worse than that in the entire universe. And I was crucified for you. And you know that. You believe that. You've heard that 
over the years, week after week, you know that. But then you come to church and your mind is somewhere else. You sit in church, but you're just thinking about lunch. You meet in fellowship amongst those who are meant to be your brothers and sisters, but you won't fellowship. You love to be served, but you won't lift a finger to serve. You study the Word of God, but it makes no difference to your heart at all. It's in one ear, out the other. You know of my costly sacrifice, but there's no zeal at all in your life. No desire to grow in your faith. And when life is tough, what do you do? You blame God. It's your fault, God. And you give up on God. You're still caught up with the pleasures of this world. So worried that as though I'm not in control. So invested in things that you will not see in heaven at all. Why do you worry? So casual about your own godliness. So concerned about your kingdom, but not mine. So focused on you. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. I mean, we don't want to be known as such people, do we? We don't want such an assessment of us from the Lord, do we? That's not the type of assessment. That's not the type of amazement we want from Jesus now, do we? But instead, I think this story teaches us how we must be. You see how easy it is for us to be people whom Jesus would marvel at, where his face would glow brightly because of us, how simple that is, what we can learn from this passage. You see, Jesus does not want our stuff as though he wants our stuff. He he owns the universe. He's not wanting us to impress him by our achievements and successes. What does he want? He simply wants a heart that says, it's not me, it's you. He simply wants a heart that says, I can't, but you can. He simply wants a heart that says, I'm unworthy, but you are most worthy. And that's amazing faith. And so you come to church, but your mind is engaged with God. You sit in church, and you're not thinking about lunch, but you're basking in the privilege that I can be in the presence of God. Me, a sinner, you meet in fellowship and you work hard to know your brothers and sisters in Christ, to know the names of all the little ones, and you love them. You love to serve. You are served, but you love to serve and you give yourself so sacrificially. You study the word of God and that changes your life. The power of God enters you and you give to him. You see how the Spirit of God tears you up inside and he rebuilds you again so that you might be like Jesus. You grow in zeal. How can I live for anyone else? What must I do with my life? I grow in zeal. And because I've got the Lord Jesus, I've got nothing to lose. And when life is tough and there will be seasons where there is suffering, you sink your trust deeper in Jesus. And you persevere. You press on. 
You're not caught up with the pleasures of this world, but you're caught up with the desire to see more and more souls saved for Christ. You're not so worried about tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. And I can trust my Father loves me. He cares for the birds of the field, the flowers, the birds of the air, the flowers of the air. Of course he's going to care for me. You're invested in things that will make an eternal difference. You're not casual about godliness. You take your godliness seriously. God sees me. You're concerned not about your kingdom, but the kingdom of God, and you're focused on him. What would Jesus think? Amazing faith. Amazing faith. I mean, isn't that how we want to be? Isn't that how we want to live our life as a church family? Lord, I've got nothing. Empty hands. But you are everything. I'm unworthy. But you are worthy. And that's my prayer for us. And this is the prayer I've been praying. And I'll end with this. Lord, we pray that somehow... You will make us a people with such amazing faith that we would even make Jesus marvel at us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.